this is spiritual warfare that you have been dealing with. This is not a fight that you have been dealing with flesh and blood, but this is a fight against principalities and evildoers and unclean spirits. RTJ3 Great man did it now, face down in the Vietnam muscle, walking on style on you. And then I walk uphill both ways to the booth and back and I'll wild on you. You think baby Jesus killed Hitler just so I'd whisper? When you say some sound of these crooks, tap your phone and I have a file on you. Huh. But me worry now, buddy, I've lost before, so what? You don't care, I'm dumb, motherfucker, I can't be crushed. Fuck. Open the bus up and stop bullshitting the kid. Touch. I got firm clutch on a grip in a box. I might go ride the tank, take a ride of the bank. Got the son of Rick Rubin, rush a full thrust, don't flash me. Shoot to the shark tank, judge. Talk real good, cause it's smart stuff. We a good crew to pump with better love. I told y'all so. I told y'all so. I told y'all RTJ Foyer. And I told you get on RTJ Two. And you still ain't believe me. So here we go, RTJ Foyer. Talk to me. about the show if you've never listened what before are you on this is the yeah, gold standard we talk about olympic sports united states got 25 medals which put them fifth in the medal count figure skating news i get the feeling i'm going to do what i did last show and talk way too long about world figure skating and not have the proper time to talk about the other things or sometimes whatever I feel like. Chiefs Bills played each other this weekend in the playoffs and it was a time, but it's my show. So that's what I get to do. Tune in Thursdays at 10. Friday, everyone, and welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia, the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. I'm your host, Luca Vitale. Alongside me are my co-hosts, Ben Schmidt, Justin Kraft. Fellas, it has been a beautiful week for this weather. I mean, listen, it's April 14th, but this is phenomenal weather. Yeah, consistent. I mean, you can't ask for for much better. For I mean, really, it's been like five or six days straight. We haven't had right. really any rain in there to kind of like throw us off, and it's been all t-shirts and shorts all week long. So I know. yeah, it's, it's we're getting a, a very early preview summer. Maybe not now, as warm. Well, hold but, on a second. The Missouri summer, it's humidity. <laughs> yeah, there's no, no I, humidity outside. I prefer this to the summer weather for sure. Yeah, I, I would take it, this. It's, it's been very nice, honestly. Couldn't ask for a better week of weather. That's <laughs> for sure. It's well, almost like we're in Florida. 
Well, that, there's humidity in Florida. Yeah, there's, yeah, I, I, yeah. As, as someone who was there a couple weeks ago. It's, I'm, I've never been to Florida, but no, I just know there's humidity. It's, so. It'll say 70, but it feels like much hotter than that's, 70 because yeah, of the humidity. I, assume, so assumed, I, yeah. I, I prefer I prefer kind of like we've had this week. Even the light breeze, too. I'll take some, I'll take some wind. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I agree. Well, it's a shame that the Mizzou baseball team is not here to uh, play in this weather as they're in College Station in uh, Texas right now. As they're looking to win their very first road SEC series this season. However, guys, that did not look too promising last night after a disastrous third inning in which the Aggies, Texas A&M, they sent 15 batters to the plate. Nine of those players crossed the plate. The two teams, what I will say is there's some history which favors the Tigers, is that the two teams they met in Columbia uh, in 2021, in Mizzou, took the last two of the three matchups after after getting absolutely annihilated, 16 to two in the opening game. So, game two of that series is tonight, and first pitch is at six o'clock Central Time. So, Justin, who has more pressure to win this series? Is it Texas A&M or Mizzou? Uh, I think it's Texas A&M. Because, really, Mizzou has not been playing well on the road all season. And like you said, I think there'd be more pressure on on Texas A&M if the series was here in Columbia with this nice weather. You know, Mizzou is just so good at home. But I think it's really on Texas A&M, especially the way they won yesterday, 13-5, to and just really, you know, came out ready to play, knocked the doors off of Mizzou. And I think it's, it's really on them to win this series, especially at home and – yeah, take this series. I, I mean, I think that's that's a very fair point. You would, I think, at a first glance, look at this and kind of say, hey, it's a Mizzou team that really needs these SEC type of wins. Mizzou, particularly, and I'm not calling A&M as an upper echelon team, but Mizzou against good teams, top 25 teams, that Mizzou's lost eight of their last nine. Mm-hmm. So if you're not going to be picking up those, you need to pick up some wins in the other categories. They've, they've been good in the midweeks for the most part, um, but... They, they have to get wins like this, even if it is on the road. And like you said, maybe it's something like past history where although they lose the opener and uh, we'll be honest, the way it went last night was really not good fashion at all. They they could still come back and take this weekend series, especially we've seen on a couple different occasions where they've had the ability to really pitch themselves uh, a two wins in weekend games against a tougher opponent. I don't want to keep going back to the same well with Tennessee, but that's the first one that comes to mind. And there's mm-hmm. other examples as well, but... Um, just record-wise, when it's two kind of, I think, more evenly matched teams, I mean, Mizzou 4-8 and eight in the SEC, A&M 5-7. A&M's higher in their side in the West. They're third, Mizzou 6 in the East. But when you when you kind of look at these teams and say, uh, okay, against similar competition, they're they're relatively they're relatively the same. I think it's literally, it's just going to be, like, you can't have last night where, where a Mizzou reliever comes in and, and walks every battery faces. I don't remember mm-hmm. if somebody who it was, but I know uh, they brought in a pitch early, and I think he walked three straight batters. That's what's going to get you out of games early. The Mizzou, the way they win games is if it's their starting pitchers worked into the fifth, sixth inning, and they've given up three-ish runs. I don't think it's a, a Missouri team that can afford to be turning to their bullpen gate at, at the third inning because they've already given up four or five runs on a bunch of walks. I, I trust this offense. I like some of the, the players at the top of the lineup in Luke Mann and Darton Bargo on and on, but I, I don't think that you can expect them to win games where they're having to get into a double-digit shootout. It's, it is so dependent on the pitching. But back to the real question at hand, for A&M, like, you're the team at home, and I, I think that's why there's so much pressure because it is a Mizzou team that has struggled in SEC play, and I don't think you want to be the one that lets them kind of turn that tide. You kind of look at every team throughout the season um, – you're going to have a weekend where it's just a surprise. And for Mizzou, that was probably what, Tennessee? Mizzou is probably not as good as that team that played for three straight games against the Volunteers. So 
A&M has to look at it like that's not the team we're facing. We're facing a team that has been throughout the rest of the season bad against SEC opponents. So we have to continue to 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 beat that team here at our home ballpark, if that makes sense. If A&M was on the road, and because these teams are similarly matched, I think the pressure would be on Mizzou because they do need these type of wins. But as the home team, um, as a team that also in A&M is coming off a midweek loss before the win last night, I think the pressure. Yeah, I think I think the pressure is on the Aggies to to kind of they they already took the first step in bouncing back from that loss. But then not only that, but just take the entire so, series. I got a question. So is it Mizzou or Texas A&M? So I'm very clear. No, here. it's it's Texas A&M. Okay, A&M so, as the home team. Okay, I think so has the most pressure. It seems like both of you guys have A&M for similar reasons. Correct. I, okay, so I totally get where you guys are both coming from. That is not my rationale as to why Texas A&M has more pressure on them winning this series. Now, before I get to it, Mizzou has gone through a very tough stretch, okay? Three straight series in uh, sprinkle in a midweek contest. You got South Carolina, Kentucky, and Vanderbilt. Those are three tough SEC series, and they did, and they played Vanderbilt and Kentucky back to back. That's not easy, okay? So I applaud them in their, especially their effort in the Vanderbilt series. They did not give up, and in the third game, they got completely blank. But that's not here or there. They actually played really well against Vanderbilt. Now, in terms of Texas A&M and why the pressure is on them, this team has completely underperformed all season long. This is a team that was in the College World Series last year going up against Notre Dame. This was a team that was in the top 10 ranked going into the season. And that sounds awfully familiar. You know, top 10 ranked going into the season and underperformed. That happens to sound like the Texas A&M football team that happened to stink the yeah. entire season long. Jimbo Fisher, I mean, good Lord have mercy, that was really bad this past season. But never that, that that's no here or there, though. We understand that this is a team that happens to actually sort of mock how Missouri is. They can hit, but they are horrible at pitching. And I mean horrible. Now, Mizzou has a different excuse that the majority of their pitchers are basically on the shelf because they're hurt. But Texas A&M, there is no excuse this year. They are just terrible. So offensively, Hunter Haas has actually, he's a very good power hitter, transfer from ASU. He has been doing nothing but great at the plate. This is somebody that is completely disciplined. He's a power hitter, slashing over 350. He has done nothing but a great job. Someone that you got to talk about as well is Jace LaViolette, who has played nothing but great as well. He's a freshman, hitting 275 already. So this is somebody to keep in mind. Now, granted, his strikeout rate, a little bit high, but he's a freshman, so that's going to correct itself over time. And then, of course, you got someone like Brett Minich, who is, I think has been phenomenal for this team as well. He actually played really well last night. Now, when it comes to the Texas A&M pitching, I don't know if you guys saw the, uh, the uh, press release before the series started yesterday. Texas A&M had Nathan Detmer for the first game. Games two and three, TBD, TBD. That is because the staff, this pitching staff, is garbage. They are nothing but Horrible, especially against conference. This is somebody in Nate De- Nathan Detmer who completely he broke out last season, played phenomenal in the College World Series against Notre Dame. Expectations were completely high for him this year because he was the number 48 best pitcher in last year's MLB draft and the third best pitcher in college baseball going into this year. 
A 5.98 ERA is not good the last time I checked, and he has an over 9 ERA in conference play in four starts. He has, I mean, granted, luck sometimes plays a factor, but he is relying on his sinker. His fastball has completely lost. It's lost. His changeup is gone. And it's a shame because Justin Lampkin, who is another good pitcher on this team, was supposed to be good, that is, has been garbage as well. So the Texas A&M team, if Mizzou wants to win these games, games tonight and tomorrow, they have to stop on this pitching. That is the only way because Mizzou does not have the pitching they need to win this series. Chandler Murphy, I like him a lot. He is not somebody that I'm going to rely on every single night to get me a win. But that is how you're going to win the series, is that you attack Texas A&M's pitching. Yeah, I think that's... I would completely agree. And I would would assume that these next two final games of the street, it's going to be similar scores. Maybe not in a blowout fashion where you're looking at 13-5, no. but I don't see a game ending in the series where it's three to one or four to nothing. Like it's it's going to be a series where it's both teams score five plus. And then the because the pitching last night, Mizzou, you, they walked ten batters. You can't afford to do that. On the other side, A and M walked. They walked eight themselves. And it's it's crazy to they look at the just. Fly ball too, it's by crazy the way. to look at these numbers because it's like you see a team that has thirteen hits. You're usually looking at pushing 15 or 13 runs usually going to pushing 15 16 hits mm. AM at eight hits in total and Mizzou had six well it also so. doesn't help when you give a team extra outs yeah, I mean no, when absolutely. you're not catching a fly ball a routine fly ball I might add you're going to lose games it's pretty simple yeah no I, I I this is I think completely going to come down to pitching and defense because you know what both <laughs> these teams can do at the top of the lineup Luke yeah. Mann had two hits last he's night he's been phenomenal this yeah year. Hank Zeisler had a hit and drove in two of RBIs but it's it's tough to do when those guys are doing all their damage after AM has already gone up 10 to 3 and it's um it absolutely has to be better i think at the very least just need to find a way to get it tomorrow and give chandler murphy a chance to go out there and win a series well tonight but yeah yeah well he's pitching tomorrow oh, I thought i'm it was saying tonight. he's not pitching tonight uh, when i last checked he was pitching the third game you could they could have swatched they could have okay. mixed up the uh, order must, and i could be wrong they could have changed it though yeah the la- last time i saw uh, it was chandler murphy for game three um so yeah. i think you need to at the very least find a way to get yourself there. Yes. you may not win the series but give yourself a chance at a rubber match on a saturday mm-hmm. um at texas a.m i think that that would be at the very least, something to take away. You cannot afford to come out of this game swept. I know you can say that about every series, but it's an A&M team where it's like, you've, you talked about this. They, although they came in with the high potential, they have not reached that, and it's not a team that is like a world beater. I get it if you go into, into Vanderbilt's place or Tennessee's place and you lose some close games and get swept, but it's an A&M team where I truly, with with some potential power at the top of this lineup, whether it's Zeisler, Man, Bargo, on and on, you cannot afford to, to lose this series in, in all three games. All right, let's go on to the circle now where Mizzou softball kicked off a nine-game homestand on Wednesday after a run-rule victory over in-state rival Lindenwood. Now the Tigers are going to host Ole Miss this weekend in a three-game series with game one of that series starting tomorrow with first pitch scheduled for 200, uh, for two, I almost said 200, 2 o'clock Central Time. So, Ben, as we know, this is a team that we saw in game three of Alabama. It looked like they were getting their momentum back, the hitting back. We saw that in game one against LSU, but two, two games, two and three, we didn't see that again. So as a result of that, do you think it is time that Mizzou softball goes in a different direction with a hitting coach. Here, here's my thing, because on the, you just look at it absolutely, because the hitting has been an absolute struggle. They got run-ruled in the, the final LSU game last weekend. Mm-hmm. The only reason I would lean towards no is simply because I don't know if it's 
healthy for a program to just keep switching coach after coach. If they hadn't just gone to a new hitting coach this season, then yeah, absolutely. Because I don't think you would look at what they've put up this season and say, yeah, that's that's acceptable. And you may not think a hitting coach for, for a baseball or softball team has a big of an impact, but I think when you're trying to teach new philosophies season after season, I don't know if it's really something that you want to do as a successful program and just continue to fire hitting coaches. Now, I, I'm not saying you give um, an extremely long leash, but I don't know if you go into um, you go into the to, to the into next season with a new hitting coach for the second year in a row, just because. I, I don't know there you because you see it come out you see instances where this offense does show life and there are there are some I think some real positive at this top of this lineup I mean Alex Honnold has had an awesome year Kara Daly shows up across different instances Jenna Laird and there is still young hitters and I think asking when we look at this program also with a lot of freshmen and sophomore hitters making up the bulk of their lineup for them to kind of have a second philosophy in as many seasons being on, on Missouri's campus. So I think that's the big issue. If this was still uh, a year ago with these same skill players, yeah, sure, you make a change because um, they, they can't afford to keep having these instances where they look great against an Alabama LSU for back-to-back games and then they go cold and it costs them an entire series after losing the first game. But I truly don't believe a successful program in any sport is one that continues to go over turnover and uh, whether it's management, coaching, stuff like that. I think you can look at that in in literally all different examples, men's, women's, to where, I mean, like, just, just to make some comparisons, you, you look at football. Who are the teams that are often near the bottom of the standing? It's the one that are firing their GMs and coached every year. How many how many coaches the Browns went through in the last decade? Too uh, many. So I mm-hmm. that's that's kind of my, my my thing right here. Does Mizzou need to find some consistency, consistency from their lineup? Absolutely, because way too many times this year, if Alex Honnold and Jenna Laird weren't carrying the lineup at the top, they couldn't do anything. Even when they did, they still could barely do anything. We saw it in Game 2 a couple weeks ago when those two got on base a couple times, and they still lost an extra against the Crimson Tide. But you look at the pitching staff with like a Sierra Harrison who allowed just one hit in five innings in the midweek game. And you say, okay, um, we get it year two of this philosophy as a hitting coach. You still have a a pitcher like Sierra Harrison next year who's going to be even better than she's already been as a freshman. I think you you really have no choice but to to run it back for another year. All right, I'm going to disagree with you. The reason I disagree with you is because this has been such a disaster. It's not even funny. This is somebody in Jeff Cottrell who comes from an Oklahoma State team that just came out of the College World Series. We, I mean, not just Larissa Anderson, but everybody expected way more than this. This team is garbage. I'm sorry. They are horrible at hitting. I mean, there's been a, there's been a spark here and there, but there is absolutely no consistency in this lineup. I mean, you got Jenna Laird, and you got... Alex Honnold. That's it. There is nobody else that you can count on day in and day out in this lineup. We're going to see no Miss when Caitlin Riley goes out there or uh, Furbush. An, 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 I think her name is Anil C. Furbush. Yes, when she goes out there and goes out to pitch. I am telling you right now, it's going to be the same old, same old story. Caitlin Riley, one of the best pitchers in the SEC this year. No, she is no Montana Fouts. No, she's no Maddie Penta. But at the end of the day, we're going to see the exact same story. This is a team that folds when it comes to elite pitching. They cannot seem to get anything going. The Lindenwood game has it does not it does not uh, persu- it does not change my opinion. It, Lindenwood is not an SEC team. 
if you're one of the best teams in the SEC, you got to beat teams in the SEC. Mizzou is dead last right now in the SEC. I think they're three and twelve or something like that. But this their season is over, and I think this is something to do. It has to do with philosophy or something because something has not clicked all season long, and you're just going to have to go in a different direction because this is not acceptable. I think calling them garbage is a little unfair. I okay, mean, what the, do you want it, me to say? The pitching is good. The pitching is good. What else they, do you want me to say? They've played, yeah. they've played 42 games and they've scored six or more runs in 20 of them. Yeah. So it's it is not like they have not scored a run all season. They are they have three wins in conference. Three wins. I, I understand that, but I just think to say they're garbage and let's let's make all of our young hitters who how, how can you ask I think these these kind of new what about people Peyton that are Jackson, the, the, lineup? Te- the transfer from Texas Tech. She was supposed to be the catalyst of this offense this year. Peyton Jackson has barely played this year. Yeah, I know. I'm not I'm not trying to get rid of all fault on this lineup. They have certainly underperformed. It's just like I I think you have to give it more than one season. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with Ben. Look, I'm not gonna <laughs> agree with you. I I like what you're saying and everything that this team is really unper like unperformed. They haven't lived up to the expectations, stuff like that. But I gotta agree with Ben. It's still a really young team, and I think it would just be hard with the hitting coach if they were to move on and everything from him. I just think there needs more, you know, development, more time. This is a young Missouri team. The expectations were high and everything. Yes, because from a year ago. They were really good, and this program year in and year out is usually consistently, you know, one of the top teams in the SEC. But I just think they're young; they need to develop, and just getting a new hitting coach would be tough. Trying to, you know, find a way to uh, mimic his philosophy, get to know him, and develop their skills from a new set of eyes. And I, I just think this team, like we were just talking about, yes, the ceiling is high, but you just got to take it one game at a time. And they're young. They got a lot of growth, and they just got to look to next season. But keep playing hard the rest of the season. And I know it's going to be tough today. You know, at two facing one of the top pitchers in the country. And I think they're not. They're not going to win today. But tomorrow, they they got to find or tomorrow. Excuse me. Yeah, it's a weird series. Yeah, Saturday through Monday. <laughs> yeah, it's great to think it's tomorrow, not today. But yeah, I just think you just got to take it one game at a time. And but, yeah, someone needs to step up. It can't be the top of the lineup heavy. They need someone else to be a voice, be a spark. And, uh, you know, our good old manager, Cameron Payne, his insider, you know, as what he's told me is there needs to be someone that needs to be a leader, and they just haven't found that this year, and they're young. So if they can find that next year and build off that, then, you know, look out for Mizzou softball next year. But it's just a game-by-game. It's a process with the remaining season. All right, we're going to do a quick commercial break. After break, we're going to take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals and their early struggles into the season. We'll be right back. KCOU 88.1 FM. The Hard Count, with your host Chris Farblin, covering all the major news in the world of NFL and college football on KCOU 88.1 FM from 1 to 3 p.m. Tune in for recaps and analysis from last weekend's games, along with predictions and previews for the action next Saturday and Sunday. Hot takes, bull predictions, and two hours of weekly football coverage on The Hard Count from 1 to 3 p.m. on KCOU 88.1 FM. Those of us who love this sport live... 
And welcome back to Around the Waves on KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia, the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. I'm your host, Luca Vitale, alongside me, Ben Schmidt, Justin Kraft. We're going to go to the MLB now, which the NL Central, to be specific, Ben Schmidt is part of a podcast that actually dives into the NL Central a lot more than this show will ever, because we do simply, our show is not just devoted to MLB, but nevertheless, the St. Louis Cardinals have gotten off to an extremely slow start this year. A team that, in my opinion, has the talent on paper to be a World Series title, just have not performed at expectations. 5-8 and eight through 13 games. They won 93 games a year ago. It's just the offense. It's been somewhat there. The pitching, though, has struggled mightily so far. So, Ben, as someone that is part of this podcast and a baseball aficionado, is the Cardinals slow start enough to keep them winning from the NL Central? It, it absolutely could, and it's still, I mean, we're second week of April, and the season goes to the end of September, but yes, absolutely, just because I think you look at the rest of the landscape of the, the division, and if you ask anyone who follows, whether it's this team, this division, even just baseball in general, after they did not go out and get another arm, that was always the worry for, I think, people who looked at this Cardinals team, and that's before Adam Weinart even had the injury. They were yeah. expected to have him in this rotation. He'll be back sooner rather than later, I believe, um, but possibility he's back still in the month of April, if not not, not long after, mm-hmm. but... Um, that was always the, the question because it was a team that for the last couple of years, especially their back end of the rotation, has relied on older, uh, worst arms, especially lefties. They had the the uh, John Lester experiment. I think they had J.A. Happ at one point. Now they have Jordan uh, They uh, had uh, Jose Quintana last year, Yeah, they, they, they love those back end of the rotation yes. left-handers that are old veterans. Um, this year, the, all those are gone. I think the only one that remains is Steven Matz. Yes. But um, regardless... So now they, they have the Wainwright injury, and Miles Michaelis, the opening day starter, has stunk. He's, oh he's been bad. Flaherty has picked it up in his last start. He walked he 13. He walked too many people. Yeah, so he walked 13 in his first oh two starts, seven against the Blue Jays, six <laughs> against the Brewers. Time, he gets hurt. And then, yeah, no, he's a guy that his guy has certainly has dealt with his fair share of injuries. Did only walk one against the Rockies. But when you look at the rest of this division— the Brewers, I think, have played better than most people thought out of the gate, and it's not yep. like they played nobody too. They took two out of three in Wrigley. Um, they won the series against the Mets at home, and they've won, they've won some other series as well. The Cubs have been competitive around 500, and the Cubs have shown their ability to score. So, with the division being weaker, I think it's teams that have the chance to kind of stay even with each other because there is no one like true favorite. You're not in a division with the Dodgers or Padres or the Braves and Mets around the other NL, the other NL divisions. When you look at the Cardinals. If they can't figure out this pitching situation, and even when Wainwright comes back, if he's not really able to be kind of their front end of the rotation guy, it's going to be an issue because, yes, their their offense has uh, been a little inconsistent, but they're still, if you just look at average, they're the third highest team average in the league at 284. So the offense is going to keep them in games. We saw that throughout the series in Colorado where, well, there's Nolan Gorman hitting a couple go-ahead home runs. Arenado hit his 300th of his career and then another one. The offense is certainly there, and they have pieces to rotate in and out. But Flaherty, uh, command has an issue. Uh, Jordan Montgomery, I like what he's been able to do so far. That's honestly probably been their most consistent so far. I was going to say that. That yeah. is the best pitcher right now, and that's team there with even with that the rotation we both we all know just stinks so so the thing is what i will say to you is this the cardinals are a second half team we Mm -hmm. see this every single year now that doesn't not that does not not scare me about what's going to happen later on with this pitching because the pitching last year they weren't this bad they were bad but not this bad 
in, I, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I guarantee you they are a bottom five starting pitching staff right now. Miles Michaelis has been a disaster. I understand he's getting up there. He's getting out of his prime, but he has been nothing but a disaster. They've played the Braves. They've played the Toronto. they played the Toronto Blue Jays, and they've played, uh, they, they've played the Rockies, which playing at yep. Coors is not easy, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I get that you have played some prolific offenses, but there is absolutely no excuse as to how bad the pitching has really been. There, It's not easy to go against those lineups, but it has been extremely bad. The difference between this year and 2011's World Series team is that they actually had a number one pitcher in Chris Carpenter. Mm-hmm. That is about it because the pitching this year, I mean, you, I mean, Jordan Montgomery is a great pitcher. Do not get me wrong, but Jordan Montgomery is not a he's not a number one. Correct. He's just not. I would say he's a number three. Would you agree with that? I'd with say me? he's a high end number three, low end number two. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, he's a he's a low end number two on a team that does not have good pitching. Yeah, I can and agree with that. And Steven Matz, oh my lord! Yeah. I mean, listen, I mean, he was injured. I think he made five starts last year because he was injured the majority of the season. But the problem with Steven Matz, one, he's your only lefty in the starting rotation. In he's well, Jordan Montgomery. Montgomery, yeah. Montgomery. I'm sorry, I always forget he's a lefty. I'm sorry. But the other thing is. He is just he walks he walks way too many people and he's not lasting. The bullpen is getting taxed beyond belief. And then Joe Kimmy started with Jack Flaherty with his inability to get his pitches over the plate because the amount of walks this dude gives to opposing teams is ridiculous. He may have a sub uh, two ERA, but I'm not gonna dismiss the amount of walks he has. Now, as as we already know, Ben, these hitters are elite. Mm-hmm. This is an elite lineup that could put up six runs a night, but we just have not seen it on a consistent basis. And maybe you could contribute to Wilson Contreras' slow start. I'm not sure. But this has just been a disaster to start the season. I'm not too worried because it's a second-half start, but the pitching, though, I'm going to keep an eye on that. Yeah, I'll, I'll real quick add on a couple few more things. So the Cardinals team ERA, and this includes the bullpen, so sure. it's honestly... Uh, I don't have the starters ERA, but this I would I would assume the bullpen is kind of carrying this this number. So yeah. team ERA sits at four eight nine. That's nineteenth in the league, so they're almost in the bottom third. That ERA is over two runs higher than the Brewers. Wow, two runs higher. Um, and you look at the the, the Brewers. They, you know what they have in Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Peralta. I mean, Burns won eight shutout innings in Arizona the other night. That top three is always going to be there. And the only question was going to be how could their offense perform. And the offense so far has been average. They're kind of a team that managed by Craig Council will play the lefty-righty matchups. Mm-hmm. And the Cubs. You look at the top of the Cubs lineup, although I don't love the bottom of the Cubs lineup, right. when you go look at the top in Chicago with Swanson, Happ, and Horner, mm-hmm. that is a very hard top three to go to if they continue to hit like they've hit. So you have that pair with Stroman, who's been great in his three starts, giving up just two runs in eight. Innings. I want to hear Justin Steele come out of your mouth too. Yeah, I was yes. Just about okay, to say that's that too. that's that's a very fair comment because he has had a, he has had a couple good ones. The back end of the rotation, Smiley's had a bad start or two. Wisniewski got hit around the ballpark. The Tyone other night. has been yeah. underwhelming. Yeah. So um, there's pieces in Chicago. So those two teams, I think, can compete. Last thing I'll say for the Cardinals, for as I think underwhelming as the rotation's been. To be only just a notch under 500, I guess, is you could you could maybe look at it and say, okay, now just imagine if we can figure things out. If we were able to kind of weather the storm here early, then maybe they get on a roll. But when 
you kind of see the other teams get off to the start that they have. And even though they're not running away with anything either, just to looking at kind of how they've played, I think it makes it seem like it's going to be competitive vision. I think the Brewers will always be competitive under Craig Council. He's a very good manager. Um, it's it's a Cardinals team that if some changes don't happen and the pitching doesn't improve, they could find themselves in a dogfight come August and September. So before yeah. I give it to Justin, I'm sorry. But no, no, you're we're good. waiting. So Lars Newbar has yet to return. I think he's going to return within the next two weeks. I read something about that yesterday. So he's pretty close to returning. Having said all that, Jordan Walker's played very good so far. So yeah. that's a promising prospect in your outfield. The Cardinals have a ridiculous amount of depth that they need to take advantage of. They need to start packaging somebody with Tyler O'Neill to go get some pitching, okay? Alex Wood, in my opinion, would actually be not a bad option of the San Francisco Giants. Yeah, I mean, the, you you certainly bring that up, and you see multiple, I think, people that are watching the Cardinals say, why don't you package some of that depth exactly. to get a pitcher? The only thing I would say is you get to July, how many non-contenders that are out of it that are going to be the one trading away stars have okay. a good pitcher to go. That's fair. That, that's my only thing. That's Alex fair. Wood is certainly, like I think, a budget option, and we yes. expect the Giants maybe around 500 even worse and which would put them as sellers come July. Mm. I don't know if there is a Luis Castillo like last summer Or a Tyler there. Glass now even. I don't think so, they would give them up. No, I don't. I mean, they're winning 13 no, Yeah, no. the way the Rays are winning. <laughs> yeah. Like, you look at some of the front-end starters, and sure, there are bad teams that have elite starters, but there's instances like you have a bad team that's rebuilding, they're going to keep that frontline starter because they believe he can still be around when they're good. So it's just how many options are there, whereas you go get an Alex Wood who certainly helps. He's better than what they have, but Alex Wood is once again like a 3-4 starter. Yeah, if the Cardinals are going to keep giving up, like you said, Ben, the 4.89 runs a game, that's almost five runs they're giving up. That's really hard for any high-powered offense to find a way to score, you know, six-plus runs and expect to win, you know, a lot of games when your pitching is not performing. And really, if the Cardinals are going to keep this up, it's going to be tough because the Brewers right now through 13 games, they're sitting at an earned uh, average ERA through the 13 games, only giving up 2.82 runs yeah. a game. Like, that that's that's insane and pitching-wise. That, that's saying right there, pitching first and then letting their offense, you know, dictate the rest. So I think the Cardinals need to, you know, figure it out. Like, like we know the Cardinals, they are late surge type of team when it comes to, you know, those later months of the season, like October, September, and then, you know, right around October. But I, I really think the Central is wide open. If you had to say one division besides, like, the the AL Central, you know, it's weird to think that we're saying the AL Central is yep. wide open with the Cardinals being bottom feeders right now. I did not think that. But even even the Pirates, you, you just never yeah, know. Yeah, we see this yeah, every yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, uh, true. You, 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 bought in, uh, you bought in on the club I, so far? I, I am a little bought in. I like what I'm seeing out of Marcus Stroman and Justin Steele. We got a one-two punch there. Very comes worried about rotation. But I don't know about our bullpen. It comes down Ugh. to the later stretch of, you know, like seven, eight, nine inning when we earn those close games because the Cubs just haven't been able to pull those out. They, they need just a lefty. Yeah. They need a lefty they in that bullpen, else which that I'm assuming really will be yeah. Smiley uh-huh. once, uh, help me out here, someone, uh, well, they Hendricks like, returns. They like Boxberger. Yeah. I think he's a decent arm. And, uh... Fulmer as, as well. He's he's decent, but I think they need another guy to help. They've been us they've been out. turning to Fulmer in safe situations, uh-huh, right? Yeah. I know he got the one. I oh, think I got, I got one thing to see. DFA Julian Merriweather ASAP. <laughs> he is horrible. Every time I see him out there, it's like waving a white flag. Basically, well, last thing I'll say whether sure. whether you and this is just about baseball, general, whether you're a Cubs fan or not, the the comeback they had against Seattle oh, that was, down that was, was awesome. really electric. After that, getting the down seven slam, to zero, yeah. Nelson yeah. Velasquez. How yeah. His first game of the season. I know, and he didn't even play. 
play the next day. Yeah, I'm like, what? Yeah, I, this I, is why this is why management makes zero sense, and it will continue to make no sense. All right, but anyway, we're gonna head to a quick commercial break. After break, you know. The Stanley Cup Finals have consisted of two future Hall of Famers and Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin. For the first time in 16 years, that will not be the case. We'll be right back after this break. Hey, Blaze. What do you get when you put two fiercely competitive sports fans who love to debate in the same room? Um, I don't know. You get a new show called Mixed Doubles on KCOU 88.1 FM. Wow, Abigail, that's really cool. What's the show about? We're going to be talking about all things NFL, MLB, college sports, NASCAR, and tennis. Tennis? Why tennis? Well, we have to talk about tennis. It's it's in the name. Mm, I don't know, Abigail. We'll have to talk about that later. But I can't wait to listen to Mixed Doubles on KCOU 88.1 Fridays at 1. Wait, Blaze, you can't listen to the show. You're, you're in the show. You're one of the co-hosts, remember? My fault, Abigail. I guess everyone else will have to listen to Mixed Doubles on KCOU 88.1 FM. KCOU 88.1 FM Columbia, the student voice of the Missouri Tigers. I'm your host, Luca Vitale, alongside me, Ben Schmidt, Justin Kraft. We're going to get to onto the ice here. The Pittsburgh Penguins have played their final game of the season last night in a 3-2 overtime loss against the Columbus Blue Jackets. It has been a situation they have not faced since 2006, missing the playoffs. And this morning, news broke about 11 o'clock that the Penguins have relieved President of Hockey Operations Brian Burke, General Manager and Hall of Famer Ron, Ron Hextall, and Assistant General Manager Chris Pryor. Justin, you have some weird obsession with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So tell me, is their golden age over? It's disappointing, and I'm crying right now oh yeah but uh yeah i think it's over i think the golden era is over of penguins you Thank know being God one of the top teams in the nhl I, it's it's hard to admit it because this you know penguins franchise has been so good year in and year out and it's weird to think that you're not seeing them in this year's playoff you know the hmm. streak is over it's been hmm. snapped like after you said after 16 seasons man yeah. oh what a shame pittsburgh fans man it i know i'm crying here in columbia but they're definitely crying back there in pittsburgh but and that's tough. But, yeah, I, I think it's over, especially, yeah, the, the Golden Air. It's just they're just so old. They don't have a lot of young talent. They're really going to have to rebuild. And it's going to be weird to see the Pittsburgh Penguins as probably one of the bottom five teams in the NHL next season. Like, you, you just don't see that from this franchise. So it's, it's going to be tough. I think the Islanders are pretty lucky, you know, to be in. So Because I think the Penguins would have gave a better shot. At the first round series against the Boston Bruins. I, I know they wouldn't have won it, but it would have gone six. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Ron Hextall, 
they finally did it. I didn't think they would do it. I really didn't think I would do it. The Fenway Sports Group, the the people that own the Pittsburgh Penguins, finally looked themselves in the mirror and realized Ron Hextall is the problem of the Pittsburgh Penguins. This team, the roster they put on the ice this year, had an, was the average age was 30. 30! This team has no youth. They have no prospects. They have no draft capital. The Pittsburgh Penguins, out of the 32 teams in the National Hockey League, they are the 30th best in prospect pipeline. They are going to be a disgrace to the National Hockey League for the next six years, most likely. It may even be longer. It may be Buffalo. Who knows? I don't think it'll be Buffalo. That's a little hyperbolic. But listen, it is embarrassing. I looked at their drafts this morning. They don't have a single NHL player before 2018's draft class. 2022, their best prospect right now, which I like the dude, don't get me wrong, is Owen Pickering. He is a great defenseman. It was a reach in last year's draft. Think about that. Their number one prospect is from last year's draft. Not, not 2021, not 2020, not 2019. Last year. This team, I mean, listen, I love Sidney Crosby to death. I really do. But he better demand his way out soon because this is going to be an absolute disaster that's going to be in Pittsburgh for the foreseeable future. Ron Hextall, love the man, Hall of Famer, goaltender, gave a whole new meaning to what goaltending was, his shenanigans, great goaltender, his his antics, love him to death. But as a GM, oh my Lord, he did everything in his power to drive this team into the ground. He really did. In seven seasons, his teams have made the playoffs four times and not won a single round. The postseason appearances, by the way, they ain't as strong as you think they were. I mean, listen, this deadline this past season, I couldn't believe what the, actually the Pittsburgh Penguins actually gave up for Michael Gronlin, a dude that is ba- a veteran that, in no disrespect to him, is washed. Gave up a second and a fifth rounder for him this year. That's a wash. Nick Benito, like the dude, fourth liner. They gave up too much for him, too. And Dmitry Kulikov. And don't get me started with uh, Ron Hextel did at the end of last season. They signed Jeff Carter, who has fallen off the face of the earth. Malkin, who has fell off the face of the earth at times. He actually play- stayed healthy this year, so I congratulate him for that. And Chris Lutang, who is 35 years old. And gave him a six-year contract. You know, people ought to really learn from other people's mistakes. Why do you think the Chicago Blackhawks are in the position they are right now? Stan Bowman could not draft young talent. And once he drafted that young talent, he shipped it away for basically nothing. That is exactly what the Pittsburgh Penguins have done. Uh, Kasperi Kapanen, who is now on the Blues, he did not work out granted in Pittsburgh. He is now on the Blues. I thought he's done a pretty good job so far. But that is just a classic example of what the Pittsburgh Penguins have done and what they are going to be facing in the foreseeable future. Tristan Jari is a great, is going to be an interesting decision. He has been somebody that has played hurt all this all this season. He, in my opinion, underperformed expectations. He was a Vesna Trophy candidate heading into the season. Barely finished with a, a barely finished below a three goals against average, a 91 save percentage. That's nothing to really sneeze at, but it's nothing great. This is somebody that 
they have to figure out, are they going to bring him back? He's an unrestricted free agent. If I'm the Pittsburgh Penguins, the answer is yes. My options out there are Martin Jones, Semyon Verlamov, Antti Ranta, Frederick Anderson. None of that really makes me want to go out there and sign those dudes. So I'm probably going to stick with Tristan Jari. I think he's a good I think he's a good goaltender, but you also got to figure out are you going to bring back Brian Dumoulin, who is a stalwart defenseman? Are you going to bring back Jason Zucker, who is an indispensable left winger? We don't know. It, it, it's all these all these questions that are going to be circulating throughout the arena this year. But it is going to be a very, very, very long rebuild. Sydney, the first thing that they should be doing is taking calls on Sidney Crosby. I am not even kidding you. They got it because Sidney Crosby will not win another Stanley Cup in Pittsburgh. It is over. I love Sidney Crosby. As a result, what they should do is grant his wishes. You accept every single phone call. See what you can get from him. They should have done this last year with Geo Malkin. They should have done it with Chris Letang. They didn't do any of that. But wrong Hextall. Poor decisions were made. Transactions that looked pretty obvious that were bad. He made them anyway. And that had very low success. I'm sure most NHL fans would know Michael Gronlin was not going to work out in Pittsburgh. And sure enough, it didn't work out. I think he had one goal in, in 26 games. Who stunk, by the way. I mean, listen... This team, Justin, I'm not going to lie to you, if you look at the rest of the Eastern Conference, you look at the Devils, you look at the Rangers, you look at the Carolina Hurricanes, you look at the Bruins, you look at the Lightning, all of those teams are fast and young, yep. with the exception of the Bruins. This team, this Pittsburgh Penguins team, is old, slow, and unsuccessful. All of them. And it is going to be a very... Very long rebuild in Pittsburgh. They didn't have to do this. They could have learned from the Blackhawks' uh, bad decision-making. And sure enough, they're going to be tanking for the next best prospect. And his last name is Celestine, I believe is his last name, in 2025. But at the end of the day, this is going to be a disaster. Mm -hmm. And this is all Ron Hextel's fault. He didn't have to do this. He, he, could, he didn't have to resign Malkin last year. He didn't have to resign Latang last year. He could have tried to get them. He could have tried to ship them off, and he didn't do that. He thought this team had another push in the playoffs, which most people probably would have said, no, you don't. Look at the Rangers. Buffalo's on the rise. Detroit's on the rise. Ottawa is going to take the next step next year. These are teams that are all fast and young. Pittsburgh is aged. They had their dynasty. They won two cups in 16-17. It's over. It is time to rebuild. Yeah, it's over. It, it's sad, too, because now the Dodgers now own the longest, you know, active playoff streak in American sports. So that's you, guys, you said something about MySpace before it came in. You're right about their streak. Oh, yeah, that oh, was yeah, Luca I talking about that. MySpace. Yeah, yeah. the last mm -hmm. time the Penguins missed the uh, playoffs, MySpace was a thing. Yeah, pretty interesting. I, wow, we were not around. I don't think I don't know what exactly year. You, I just know the fact you brought up. We weren't around for MySpace. Yeah, we were. Early what? stages of it. Yeah, okay. we were just so we, very young. Yeah, yeah okay. Early mm -hmm. stages, I'm sorry. Yeah. All right, but anyway, let's go to the court now, Ben. Um, I got to admit, my favorite part of this playing tournament was uh, uh, DeMar DeRozan's daughter screaming oh, every time. Awesome. The I'm not going to lie to you, so I, I caught the last of it. I caught the end of the game. I didn't know, like, where is that screaming come from, right? And sure enough, they put the camera on his daughter. I thought it was kind of funny. But we're going to go to the Western Conference. Do you think the Lakers are able to make a run of the Western Conference? I think it'd be fun if they did just because, I mean, like, 
I'm not going to sit here and, and I think fall in with like the rest of the main media that would love to see the Lakers go on the run because LeBron and ID. I just think they're more fun to watch than like a, than I don't know about Memphis. I think they're more fun than the Nuggets, some of those teams. So that's why I think it'd be fun if they did. But I don't, I don't truly believe this Lakers team has the, has the, uh, has the ability to go on a run throughout this Western Conference. And keep in mind, and I think, although the roster was probably worse two years ago, this is the exact same situation as two years ago when the Lakers coming off their championship in the bubble the season after, get in as a play-in team. Um, they, they win that play-in game against the Warriors with LeBron hitting a big three-pointer. And then they were talked about a lot as kind of like, hey, this is a seven-seed Lakers team. They have LeBron and AD. They could absolutely beat the Suns, and they end up losing to that Suns team in six games. And, and that Suns team goes on and, and makes the NBA Finals. So I think this is a similar situation where people are looking at LeBron and AD, who you do have the top-end talent and saying the same sort of thing, like, hey, the Lakers is a seven seed, can go on and, and, and beat Memphis and then go on deep in the series. But uh, the thing is, I just don't think the Lakers have the firepower to con- to compete with a top-end team. They they barely escaped the Timberwolves, and that's after the Timberwolves put up just 12 points in the fourth and then four in overtime. So you're looking at uh, 17 total minutes of a game, 12 in the fourth quarter, five in overtime, and they put up 16 points in 17 minutes. That was just barely enough for the Lakers, uh, Lakers to get by. So... I think they will be in games. They've been good when they have LeBron, Anthony Davis, and get this, the third name, Austin Reeves. When the three of those are on the floor, they are outscoring teams by 149 points in the 390 minutes they've played together this season. So, could they push Memphis six and game, seven games? Yeah, absolutely. The Lakers even beat Memphis this year early on in the season. But uh, I, I think... With the Lakers, I don't love their bench depth. I like D'Angelo Russell as a starting caliber player, but um, if LeBron and Anthony Davis aren't playing 40-plus minutes, even closer, playing most of the game, I think it's going to be tough. And even with, um, let's say they get past Memphis, I just don't think you look at the rest of the Western Conference, I don't think the Lakers can go through a full series against a healthy Suns team with Durant, Booker, uh, Aiden, and Chris Paul. They've already lost the Clippers multiple times this season. That's a team they could face if the Clippers were to get past the Suns in the first round. And the Warriors with Wiggins back, as bad as the Warriors are on the road, the Warriors would be the higher seed and have the home court advantage there. I don't think the Lakers would have any any sort of advantage there. So, And I go through these teams. I haven't even mentioned the one or three seeds. I haven't mentioned the one seed Nuggets who have the MVP in Jokic. Um, and I haven't mentioned the Kings who broke their playoff drought. So you like... I feel like you can talk yourself to saying that every single team um, above them in the standings, which is why they are above them in the standy and uh, in the standings. Common sense there, but like I just don't see an avenue where even if they get through this first series against Memphis, who I don't love because I I, um, I think they can be a little little sporadic. The the Memphis can, but. Um, I, I don't think the Lakers, despite the media attention um, and how good they've been since the trade line to acquiring D'Angelo Russell, um, once they face some of the best teams. I mean, they, they faced the Suns team a couple weeks ago, or about a week or so ago, but they didn't play any of their players. I mean, some of the full-on lineups, better teams they've played recently, they've lost to. They had an easier schedule after the trade deadline. They took advantage of it. Yeah, I agree. I think the Lakers need a third dominant scorer if they want to find a way to go far in the West, get to the semis, maybe in conference finals, because LeBron and AD, they're not going to always show up, and someone else is going to have to be there. You know, if LeBron's going to be on, AD, it's, if, say, he's not on as well, someone else is going to have to step up because they can't do it all by themselves. And I think if they are able to escape the Grizzlies, or, say, if they do play Sacramento, we you just you, you never know. Like, I just I just think... It would just be tough for the Lakers if they are to win that first-round playoff series, depending on who they play. Um, they'll play the Grizzlies, right? Yeah, they, they play, they play the play. Memphis. Okay, yeah. so they will play Memphis. Okay, so if they do beat Memphis, 
then I just think it would be tough, depending on if the Warriors beat the uh, you know Kings, the 3-6 matchup. I, I just don't think they have enough depth to, to beat one of those teams. All right. Well, do you want to say more about the Lakers? Because well, I got something else to say. I would just say real quick. I guess you okay. should rephrase a little bit because... I mean, if you, if you haven't been able to figure it out already, I don't I don't really trust the Nuggets as a one seed. I mean, they've shown yeah, time and time that. again they're not they're not a playoff t- caliber team. They're a regular season team that can play back to backs and beat up on regular season teams. But um, I will say this: the Lakers may have a somewhat uh, favorable path, which sounds crazy when you consider that if they beat the two, they'll most likely play the one seed unless the Denver somehow gets upset by an eight seed team that we're going to find out tonight. Could the Lakers go six, seven games and potentially win those series? Yes. I think they would have really a whole lot of trouble if they were to get through those with the team they would face the series after the conference final because that's where you would face a a Warriors-Clippers-Suns team where I honestly think those three teams may be in a playoff scenario just as good of, if not better, than a Memphis or a, uh, a Nuggets team. I will say this about the Penguins, by the way. Stan Bowman and Ron Hexel, what they have in common, they both drove the team into the ground. That's exactly what they did. Couldn't draft a couple of a couple of uh, sparks here and there, but basically traded away players and gave terrible contracts. That's what they have in common, and it's it's just a shame that Sidney Crosby is going to have to sit in Pittsburgh, a Hall of Fame talent, and basically watch this team dive into the ground. I mean, you yeah, lost to the Chicago Blackhawks. Who had no business winning that? They didn't have a business winning that game. You know why? Because Pittsburgh couldn't play. And then you lost the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Columbus Blue Jackets, yeah. the same team that has no coaching and terrible defense. And Michael Hutchinson playing goaltender. Really? I mean, Michael DiPietro may be able to play on that team, and who is who basically was one of the most hyped stars of all time. And now he has a hockey podcast. I'm happy for the dude, but like. University of Michigan gave an 11-year deal and did nothing in the National Hockey League. Just some history, Ben. I, do, I want to say, I know we keep switching back and forth, but I, I do. I want to say this before sure. we wrap up. Before the playoffs start, because I feel like you can't make your finals prediction once the playoffs have actually started. Like, you have to get it in before, because yeah. um, this play technically is not the playoffs. My right. my finals prediction, real quick, I'm going to go with we get a rematch for two years ago. I think it's Suns-Bucks. Wow. Okay. Interesting. I feel I feel good about the Bucks in the East. The West is going to be a dogfight. Whereas I think most okay. people believe the East is going to be Philly or not Philly. Pardon, not not Philly. Uh, <laughs> okay. It's going to be Boston oh, or Milwaukee. On. You don't think Doc Rivers can find a way to no. get the Sixers there? No. I don't know. I don't know about with this team. I think East. You're looking at Boston, Milwaukee. I'll take Milwaukee and a Suns team that has been dominant when KD's been on the floor. And I think KD in the playoffs, unless something freakish happens, will be there for for the Suns. I think we get Suns Bucks. Okay. I really think. I, I like that. I really like that pick, that finals pick. I'm going to go. I really think the Nuggets can pull it out. I feel like they got something special. I really think they can win the West. I like the Nuggets playing the. So the Nuggets aren't winning. Celtics. I, I like the Celtics playing the Nuggets in the finals. That's my finals prediction. I don't even know who. I'm, I'm sure we'll go with the Celtics. I don't know. Yeah, that, I don't watch what, the NBA. Yeah, that's, 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 that's okay. So we'll we'll do the Celtics and uh, you know just to make people upset the Sacramento Kings we'll do that I would love that I mean they have they have an absolutely electric crowd and they have yeah. a great home court advantage so that'd sure. be fun we'll do that but anyway you could catch by the way for Sports Saturday tomorrow it's your favorite we're gonna do an NHL playoff series preview I'll be at the Mizzou softball game so that's gonna be before the Mizzou softball game so you got time to I tune s- in I'm, at noon I may just may just do it oh at noon yeah I'll tune in right you before my intramurals in. basketball I mean, Ian, Pat, Rocky game, and yeah. I gotta dive into everything uh-huh. yeah. Poor Sidney Crosby. He's probably going to be listening to it as he's crying. That would be phenomenal. But anyway, that's all our time today. Thanks for tuning into Around the Waves, and we'll see you next Friday.